There we go. Yes, I forgot how to work. As the ushers are coming uh, to take up the offering, uh, opportunity to worship through giving. Um, <clears throat> by the way, my name is uh, Joe Davis. I'm the lead teacher here in the garden. And um, you can bring my slide up. Yeah, there we go. That's me right there. <clears throat> um, I only have a few more weeks uh, with you guys, which is uh, something that has been one of the most positive ministry experiences in my career, is being here in the garden the last four years. Um, I have about three or four more weeks left where I'll be preaching my last Sunday is September 18th before we launch Grace Life at McCurdy's. That's not a joke. <laughs> it's a true story. It's going to be awesome over there. So um, think about it. If you're not a church person, you hear about a church in a comedy club, you might try it, you know? So, but, we're, but for now, we're continuing with our uh, series on 2 Corinthians, uh, this summer series. We've been talking about this, one of the least preached epistles in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians. And so that's kind of where we're going to be going again. And this week it's 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 13. And I've titled the sermon this week, Vulnerable. Vulnerable. Now I want that word to grab your attention and I want you to focus in on how scary that word is. You know what we're really good at as human beings? We're good at appearing vulnerable, but we manage it very well. What we like to do is give the illusion of vulnerability, but in reality, we draw the line so that vulnerability is not painful or costly or more important, embarrassing. So let's read the passage today. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 3 through 13. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. In other words, we put no barriers, we put no boundaries, we put no curtains, we put no walls, we don't do anything to hide anything about who we are. That's what he's saying. We put no obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault will be found. In other words, we have no secrets that we're trying to hide. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In other words, we give ourselves up. As a matter of fact, in an earlier passage in another book, Paul says, I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your ability to believe. We commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. That just sounds like a day at Disney World right there, doesn't that? All that stuff, you know what I mean? Space Mountain, you know? By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, yet are true, as unknown, yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you. In other words, we have held nothing back. 
We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. And he does this in a personal way. He doesn't say we have spoken freely to you. We have spoken freely. We have not held anything back from you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. In other words, become vulnerable. So let's look at the history of this passage like we do in the garden. We like to look at the history. What about man? What did he do? Why did he do it? Then we understand the theology. What about God? What did he do and why and how? And then we can look at the devotional. What about me? What am I supposed to do and why and how do I do it? Let's look at the history of this passage. Paul has nothing to hide. And what we see throughout Paul's ministry, there was this characteristic of Paul as a pastor. And that characteristic was he was an open book. Paul did not hide anything from the people he was ministering to. And he had an especially vulnerable relationship with this church in Corinth. As a matter of fact, he was so vulnerable that many began to dislike him because of his vulnerability. He had confessions about his past. Look, this is who I used to be. I used to kill people like you for a living, not a joke. I used to make my living killing Christians. He says, I was the person who was in love with religion more than anyone, and I was better than any of you at it. I was so far from the gospel, you couldn't believe it. And he talks about his struggles, and he talks about his past. Not in a way to try to glorify himself, but a way to give God glory for what he had done in his life. He admits his weakness. Matter of fact, Paul says in many, many times, and in one particular place in the scriptures, he says, I had this infirmity that would really hinder me, and I prayed three times that God would take it away, but he didn't. He was even vulnerable about his physical ailments. He was vulnerable about his emotional weaknesses. He was vulnerable about the fact that he had a temper. Paul was willing to admit that he was by far a flawed vessel. You know what else? He was transparent about his money. Matter of fact, one time, there was a, I think it was in Philippians, the Philippian church sent him an incredible gift, and he said, I don't really have need of your gift. I have everything I need right now, but I'm going to accept it on your behalf. He says, there are times that I have been in need, and there's times when I've had plenty. Right now, I've got plenty, but I know that you love me, so I'm taking this gift. He was very transparent about his finances. He was willing to express his fears even as he was facing death in prison. Paul had sacrificed so much for the benefit of the Corinthians. So much so that I love the phrase that he uses to explain how vulnerable it was. He says, our heart is wide open. There is nothing in my life that you can't know about. There's nothing in my life that I won't give to you. There's nothing in my life that I won't share with you. I am who I am in my strengths, in my weaknesses, and I want you to know all about all of them. And then he says, look, if you really want to grow, you got to stop being like children and have your hearts open too. That's the history. 
Look at the theology. What does God do? I want to talk about the miracle of vulnerable living. Guys, Paul wasn't vulnerable because he was some special person. He was vulnerable because it was supernatural. It was miraculous. It was inhuman. God had enabled Paul to endure more than most of us would be willing to endure for any group of people, let alone a group of people that was extremely disloyal to him at one point. Remember 1 Corinthians? I mean, this church had turned their back on this guy, and he continued to be uh, vulnerable, even though they had been disloyal. Through afflictions, through hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonment, riots, sleeplessness, his reputation being destroyed. People saying he's not really an apostle, he has no authority. People turning him in to the police. So he'd be thrown in prison, being beaten. All of this was not because Paul was a great man. All of this was because God intervened and created a miracle. And what is the catalyst for that miracle? The fruits of the Spirit. Let me read this passage to you. This is great. This is what he says in today's passage. How is he vulnerable? He says, my heart is wide open. Why? By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness. By the way, all fruits of the Spirit. And he even says, the Holy Spirit. Genuine love. By truthful speech and the power of God, the Holy Spirit. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. The reason that Paul was willing to endure such embarrassing vulnerability for the benefit of the Corinthians is because the Holy Spirit had garnered control of his heart and life. And Paul knew my reason for living is these people. Why hold anything back? So the catalyst for that vulnerable living was the Holy Spirit. And what are the results of this vulnerable living? He says, I have honor even while I'm being dishonored. I have life while dying. He knew that earth is a mere shadow of the life to come. He had a heavenly perspective on these things. Why did he care about vulnerability when he knew heaven was just around the corner? He had joy and sorrow. Do you guys remember the definition I gave you of joy in the first part of this series? Some of you may remember it, but I'll remind you, okay? Because I know probably two of you remember. Here's the definition that I gave you of joy. A full supernatural satisfaction with God's presence over anything else. A full supernatural satisfaction with God's presence over anything else. He had a supernatural satisfaction with God's presence in the midst of sorrow. He even says, rich while poor, he had a heavenly value system. Notice how the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit allows Paul to live in the opposite direction of his current physical life conditions. Honor during dishonor, life while dying, joy and sorrow, rich while poor. This vulnerability, this supernatural vulnerability allows Paul to live as though he is in the total opposite direction of what is actually going on in his physical life. 
And why is that? Because we studied this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17 and 18. For our light affliction is temporary. It's only for a moment. And it's working for us something that is far greater in heaven. We don't look at the things which we see. But we look at the things which we don't see. Because the things which we see are temporal. And the things we don't see are eternal. Paul knew that. Not because he was smart. Not because he was godly. But because it was a supernatural intervention in his life by the Holy Spirit and Heavenly Dad. All of this Work of God in Paul's life produces a heart that is wide open, vulnerable, and a life that is lived with others and for others. So let's look at the devotional. I'm going to stop preaching and go to meddling just a little bit, all right? I'm going to tell you about some things that are obstacles of vulnerability that stifle it. Self-love. From today's passage. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted. In other words, a thing that's hindering you from living a life of vulnerability is your own afflictions, our own affections, self-love. In return, I speak to you as children, people who are immature, widen your hearts also. How does self-love destroy vulnerability? A couple things. Self-love stifles it. It presents a false image of who we are. Our tendency is to present an image that is cleaned up. A sanitized picture of who you are as a Christian, as a person. Think about it. That's how we live our daily lives at work. It's harder to live it at home, but we try. And self Love has a tendency to present a cleaned up version of who you are. Boy, Paul's version was messy. You know what else self-love does to stifle vulnerability? Hide our struggles, or at least the ones that don't reveal things that make us embarrassing, and sometimes will reveal some of our struggles that give us glory. For example, well, you know me, I'm just a straight talker. I like to say it the way it is. And sometimes I might offend people, but that's who I am. That's not being vulnerable. It sounds like, well, you know, that's just who I am. That's not vulnerable. That's arrogance. That's showing off. You see what I mean? And so what we can do is we can do some fake vulnerability because we love ourselves. And so we'll reveal some of our weaknesses. Like, I'm really good at this on the basketball court. Well, you know, sometimes I just can't see the floor very well, so I got to shoot. That's just who I am. But you see what happens in life? Self-love, and don't be tricked by this. We're really good at this, aren't we? At manipulating our vulnerability by saying that we are vulnerable or weak in an area. But in reality, we're saying, I hope people see this as a strength. Hey, man, I'm, you know, it's just the way it is. I, I'm impatient on US 41. That's just, you know, that's just me. It's kind of funny. Pastor Joe, there he goes in his truck again, speeding around, cutting people off. <laughs> that's hilarious. You know what else self-love does? Not only does it stifle vulnerability, it can contaminate it. You know what? We use it to garner sympathy. To manipulate others with guilt. 
I'm going to pick on two generations. First of all, I love millennials. I love you guys. But you know what we're really good at? Posting our vulnerability on Facebook so people will feel bad about us and give us a sad emoji or a like. <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Everything's falling apart. Oh, it's okay. Don't be. That's not real vulnerability. That's manipulation. Because see, what self-love does is it will take vulnerability, it will contaminate it, and will allow you to try to use it to get other people to feel bad for you or feel guilty so that you get more people loving your self-love. Do you see how that works? Self-love can contaminate our vulnerability. And you baby boomers. Generation X, like me, we don't have any of these problems. So baby boomers and millennials. (laughs) You do it too. We do it in our church. We do it in the way that we say, I just really love the way this church makes me feel. That's not vulnerability. See, both of these conditions create distrust, division, repulsion, and a church that is restricted by its own affections, just like the Corinthian church. Do you see how self-love can hinder and contaminate vulnerability? So let's talk about the real vulnerability. Let's talk about supernatural vulnerability. This is the part that I really hope that we can spend some time on today because I feel like this is the part that, this is the part that's going to be hardest for you to grasp. I think it's easy to understand how we as humans like to contaminate our vulnerability, right? But I want to talk about real supernatural vulnerability. It starts with enlightenment from the Holy Spirit. The enlightenment says this, we are in desperate need of redemption. Let me tell you something. That is not a human condition to really realize how much you need redemption. Most humans will say, well, I'm nobody's perfect. It's not that you're not perfect. You're 100% imperfect. And only enlightenment from the Spirit of God can teach you, I am completely imperfect. I'm the antithesis of perfect in every way of my life. I'm in desperate need of redemption. And what happens with that is this. It allows you to start with true vulnerability with God. See, if you can't be vulnerable with God, then you can't be vulnerable with your brothers and sisters in Christ or your family members or your neighbors or your work partners. See, the only way you can actually have true vulnerability is recognizing your true depravity. And once you realize your true depravity, which is a supernatural act, At that point, you can become vulnerable before God and you can say, God, my heart is wide open. When we say, Jesus, I am as far from heavenly dad as a person can get and I am helpless without you. I am hopeless without your work on the cross. And we become vulnerable to the message of the gospel. The problem with humans is we like to keep the gospel at a safe arm's length. Oh, Jesus is great, but not too great. We don't want to be vulnerable, 
But when we finally relent supernaturally and let the gospel have its work, we have this miraculous vulnerability. When we let go of our affections for religious success. When we let go of our affections for a selfish life. See, the sign of a healthy church is one that is swimming in supernatural vulnerability. Miraculous vulnerability that produces intimacy with Heavenly Dad and intimacy with his church. Vulnerability, supernatural vulnerability, not contaminated vulnerability, is what pulls people into the family of God. Nothing is more attractive to us than when somebody is truly vulnerable. I would say to you, the times as a pastor that I connect with you the most is when I'm as vulnerable as I can possibly be about who I am as a person. If I present to you a cleaned up version, it's kind of a silly game because you guys know I'm not really cleaned up. Right? You know that. But the times that we have the best interaction as congregation and pastor is when I say my heart is wide open to you. And I joke about the 41 thing, but you know what? I know it's a big sin problem in my life. It is. I got to stop. So I'm trying to be vulnerable to let you know, hey, I'm with you. So why is vulnerability so compelling to us? Why is it so attractive? What is it about vulnerability that makes us be drawn to it? Why is it so endearing? Real vulnerability I'm talking about. You know, the stuff that we do to try to get people to feel guilty, that repels me. I hate it. But when somebody's really vulnerable, I love it. It's because miraculous vulnerability produces intimacy. And it's something that we have to desire in our most important relationships. Because it's the catalyst, the seed for relationships that go beyond the surface. Relationships that last relationships that make a difference in hard times when you're grieving, when you're hurting, relationships that really come through for you when you really need them, they are based upon miraculous vulnerability. They are real relationships that lend to lasting transformation. Relationships that provide support underpinning. Why? Because when somebody you love is an open heart to you, you feel invited to be an open heart right back. Supernatural vulnerability breeds intimacy in God's church. Here's how you keep a church from becoming an institution, from a place that's just a bunch of buildings and people. You ready? I don't know if you're ready for it or not. Maybe you're not. I don't know. But the only way that Church of the Palms, that the garden, that grace life can really be what it needs to be is we have to be drowning in miraculous, supernatural vulnerability with each other. Because if we are not, we're just playing church 
and we're like little children that need to grow up. That's what Paul says about the Corinthians. I will close with this comment, this thought. When we become vulnerable, it's a risk, is it not? It's risky. I mean, what if I become vulnerable and this person rejects me because of my vulnerability? Well, that's self-love, that fear. Our motivation for being vulnerable is one thing. To enhance the faith of those around us. And it's not something that starts with you. It's a supernatural gift. It's part of the gift of That's right, the gift of faith. Let's sing one more time about the God that is good.